smaller college. I spent a lot of time, put a lot of investment of time, along with the professors and teachers that are part of the, the ministry there, put a lot of time into our students. And uh, we realized that it's more <coughs> the true Bible gospel training is more than uh, just getting an education and sending folk out. They need to be brought by the grace of God and the power of God to an area of growth where they grow in grace and knowledge of Him. It don't bother me. I got one good ear and one bad ear, and I hear something tinkling in the background, but that's probably somebody's phone, and so it didn't bother me as long as I turned my head this way. But if I turn it this way, I got problems, so y'all have to pray for me on that. I'm teasing. I don't hear this here well. And, uh, but uh, uh, in the classroom, both in college and in seminary and in the U- UK, not UK, but in Great Britain, I can't even say right, in Europe, places that I've gone there, but more importantly in uh, Egypt. When I go in the classroom, I tell them, if the phone goes off, it better be a call from God or you're in trouble. <laughs> so, so they usually turn them off. Amen. This morning I started a message, and I ask you to turn with me back to Second Timothy, uh, chapter uh, two, Second Timothy. And what's interesting is that when I started this morning, I read a scripture in the pastoral epistle of Second Timothy, and in this epistle, the Bible teaches us the, about the Word of God and the importance of the Word of God. Uh, we see that in 1 Timothy, uh, the key word is sound doctrine, as you go all the way through 1 Timothy. In 2 Timothy, the key word is sound doctrine, and then in Titus, the word sound doctrine. Uh, It's important to understand that in 1 Timothy, he tells us to protect sound doctrine. We're to protect the Word of God, and the way you do that is you establish churches in a biblical way. Can I hear an amen? You got deacons that know what deaconing is. You have pastors that understand pastoring. We believe in pastors, elders, and bishops are all the same office. And uh, so it is that uh, much instruction is given in First Timothy concerning protecting sound doctrine. And the way you do that, you protect it, is by building biblical New Testament churches. Secondly, you see in 2 Timothy, he tells us to proclaim it. It's interesting, he tells us in the first section that we are to take that that has been committed to us and commit it to faithful men who shall be able to commit it to the next generation. Also, it's in this Second Timothy that we have the Word of God that tells us to preach the Word, to be in season and out of season. In other words, the Word of God is not only to be protected, but it's to be proclaimed. And let me just share this with you. We don't preach it, they won't hear. And faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So we have the responsibility of getting the Word of God out. But then Titus, is interesting, teaches us about sound doctrine, and it tells us 
that we should practice sound doctrine. We should protect it, we should preach it, and we should uh, in all way practice it. Now, you can't preach it, and you can't protect it if you're not practicing it. Absolutely. God wants us to follow the scriptures, to have holy lives, and our lives should line up with sound doctrine. Now, this thing of ministry in the educating of men is not something that uh, uh, is foreign to the teachings of the scripture. If you'll notice in Second Timothy, I'm not going to ask you to stand unless you just want to stand. If you want to stand, sometimes I had an old preacher to say one time said, all that we can intellectually endure is what our seat can endure. So sometimes it's good to just stand up. So you do that. I'm going to read a couple of verses and then I'll read some other scriptures. So stand with me and let us read two verses, Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Thou therefore, my son, Paul is writing to Timothy, and we know that this is one of the pastoral epistles. He's telling us how the work of the ministry ought to be carried out. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same, look at this, commit thou to faithful men. Uh, You beat in the air when you're teaching folk that are not faithful. Uh, No reason for us to pour our energies and our strength into men that are not faithful. But you find a few faithful men, a handful of faithful women that want to be taught the Word of God. You can pour your life into them, and you know what will happen? They will pour their lives into the next generation. Amen. And he goes on to say, Commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So you're committing the word of God to them, faithful men, that they may be able. In other words, you have sufficiently taught them and committed the word of God to them that they can teach it. It's one thing for a fellow to go to church and hear the word of God. It's another thing for him then in turn to be able to teach it to someone else. It's called discipleship, but in its deepest level is the training of God's preachers. Notice this before we're seated. He says here there are four generations involved. Paul is teaching Timothy, and he also taught Titus. But here in this portion of Scripture, we see that not only we have Paul and we have Timothy and Titus, but we also have faithful men and lastly others who shall be able to teach. So here we have it, four generations. You know, uh, you can say what you want to, where you want to, all about that. I, I used to, uh, you know, I was a young preacher and I had uh, godly pastors that instructed me. And those men of God taught me prayer. They taught me visitation, outreach, soul winning. They taught me what it was and how to prepare sermons. But I remember also, Brother Black, that they taught me. Let's go out back, boy. 
we got a rock altar out here and we got to pray down the unction of God on this preaching and teaching that's going on they taught us what we call today old pad do you know they're still around God's program's just as rich today for the training of another generation as it was in our grandparents' days. Father, we ask you now to help us. Help us today to continue what you have started this morning and help all of us to be all that we can be for Jesus Christ. Lord, we have but one passion and that's to glorify you and to praise you and bring honor to your name. Now do so, Lord, through us, for Christ's sake. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. For those of you that are coming in tonight, we're not in the morning session. You'll probably need to talk with with Brother Paul Reniger and Brother Kevin Fox, uh, Fox Wolf. <laughs> And help our brother. I knew it was a canine species. (laughs) I did that the first time I ever introduced them at our church. And uh, sometimes it slips in again. Uh, The point is, is that we also had a DVD. It was short, and you can go ahead and ask, and he will show that to you, because he's downloaded Now you have it in your church archives. I want to say to you that this morning when I started speaking, I started speaking to you about marking men for God. I pointed out to you that uh, men of God taught me and put me on a trajectory for the glory of God. Every real man of God that's ever done anything for God will say that to you. I never will forget, uh, I will say to our sister, uh, that father was the founding pastor here. Uh, it's uh, important for you to understand this. A lot of hours I spent with all these old-time preachers. They were older than me then, and now I'm the old bird. But then in those days, I was asking hundreds of questions. I wanted to know how they got where they were. I wanted to know what God did in their lives to produce in the fruit that he is producing. And uh, I remember Brother McGuire saying to me, he said, you know, uh, we had professors that taught us the academics, and then we had professors that would call us aside and say, if you're interested, just come see me. I'll teach you doctrine. I think it was an interesting thing he told me of Rob Barnum calling him aside and saying to him, I want to teach you truth. Uh, in fact, whenever I hear some of Rob Barnard's message, and then I'd hear Brother Frank McGuire, I could hear Barnard in there. That's just the way it is. Uh, you can't help it. Somebody said, uh, uh, well, Pastor David has his own style now, but when he started, he sounded like Ray Bearden until Ray Brown came along. Then he started sounding like Ray Brown, and now he's confused. He sounds like both of them. <laughs> Let me just say this to you. These investments or these opportunities of investments in the lives of men will make an eternal difference. I mean, we need more than just the academics. We need academics. And these guys will tell you we're academic. 
we have some folk that will make the statement that says, well, uh, you know, you can go to school and there's multiple choice answers and all that. Fun, we, we have fun writing term papers. You say, you mean to tell me? Is it right, guys? Do you write term, term papers? Every class. That's right. Uh, you study Bible theology, you're going to have to show us that you're getting this thing down so you can write about it. Amen? Uh, Eliezer didn't tell you this. But when he was in India, his father has a television broadcast. So his dad referred to Eliezer to be able to teach some, and he taught on the TV, and they didn't have money to add more broadcast telecast. But long they came, they said, we like what you're saying. Eliezer, can y'all believe that? And he said, we like what he's saying, and they let him have hours to teach on television in the country. You say, what are you talking about? Open and effectual doors. Now, I'm kind of jealous. I've never been that much on TV. Of course, I didn't feel comfortable when I was. But at any rate, I'll back up to the thing and say this to you. It's important to understand if you'll prepare yourself for God, God will use you to the max for His honor and glory. He produced telecasts from my living room and cast them to India. Isn't that something? Here you say, preacher, we've got 300 million gods and goddesses over there. But the true and the living God puts out through a TV channel. And what a powerful way for the Asian Indians to hear the gospel. Uh, he didn't ever figure that would ever happen in his lifetime. To be honest with you, I didn't think it ever happened in my lifetime for him to do that, I mean. I go on to point out to you that I gave you in conclusion this morning some of the words of uh, uh, the man of God that God used to impact me with the thoughts uh, concerning uh, this thing of discipling and training men for the glory of God, Dr. Buck Singh from India. I went in to see him. And as I was sitting there with him, he was talking to me, and, and Dr. Jeeva Baraga was sitting there alongside him. He had introduced me. I'd never met him. They called him the Spurgeon of India. If you want to know more about it, you talk to Brother Eliezer. He'll tell you about how God used him. And he came in. He's feeble. And they led him in just like they have to lead me around. And of course, they try to run me up and down stairwells to the attic. But at any rate, that happened today. But at any rate, uh, it was an amazing thing. Uh, he came in and he sat down and he listened. And as he got through listening, he looked at me and he says, A success without a success successor is a failure. Well, when I heard that, I thought, man, I need to write this down, you know. So I wrote it down, and I got out of there and went on, because what he was saying is real training of men of God is that we can see to it that the Word of God and the work of God will be perpetual. Amen. We're not just trying to educate people. We're concerned about training men of God. And there's a difference in somebody that has an education for ministry and somebody that's been called of God to preach. 
but the man's been called of God he has a heart for it then all of a sudden he starts giving himself to it in every way we saw that Moses invested in Joshua but let me say this to you a Joshua has to be willing to be a learner but those of us that are Moses and we're in the place of that leadership teacher we have to be willing to invest in them the hard part about investing is sometimes it falls apart they'll mess up their lives but we have done our part and we move on to the next stage of ministry and I promise you this if you stop with one or two you'll be disappointed that's when you got to keep on investing keep on pouring your life into another it was David that trained Jonathan. But he not only trained Jonathan, the Bible tells us that he trained mighty men, a band of mighty men. I'll tell you what, they looked to David for leadership. And he was a man after the very heart of God. And the Bible tells us in the book of Acts that he was a man that served his own generation. I... Uh, I don't know how much success we'll have ministering the next generation. Uh, Dr. Celius is the writer in our faculty. Uh, I'm trying to do some writing. Writing is hard work for those that you do not know. And I'm trying to put some things together that I know that should impact the next generation. Why should you do such a thing, Pastor David? Because I want to serve my own generation, that my own generation can serve the next generation. Let me just say to you, Elijah marked Elisha. Uh, I, I find it interesting, and I'm going to come back to this in just a moment, and I'll take a short time on each section of Elijah and Elisha's ministry to one another. I made the statement this morning, which it's, it just lives on, and I say it again. It's very important to, to understand that, uh, as an old professor of mine said, and he would say it oftentimes in the classroom, he said, really, he said, the teaching, true teaching situation is two men on a log, a teacher on one end and a student on the other end, and iron sharpeneth iron. Let me just say this to you. There is no better teaching method than two men on a log. You can interpret that any way you want to. But you know, I'll say this. We're online today. I've worked with that. We have school online. If you want to do some of the program that way, we will let you do some of it that way. But we don't do it all that way. Why is that? Because we think that men disciple men. And you say, it's that touch of another man that gets the job done. A man anointed to God, yes. And let a man full of the Holy Ghost, he'll show you how to go through trials. A man full of the Holy Ghost to God and the power of God and the wisdom of God and searches the scriptures and becomes a student of the Word of God, he can train another generation by word and by his life uh, I'm sorry to say this but most of the schools today will turn out and educate folk like a like a uh, meal a place where they just 
train them and run them through. But I want to say this to you. God has a school for those he'll use. And that school is a place of preparation where it's one-on-one. And some of the best schooling I ever got was at the knee of my mother. Some of it came from my school teacher who was also deacon. One occasion I got into big trouble. I was attacked on the ball field and I just got into a knockdown, drag out fight. We were in the eighth grade and uh, I mean, I just went at it with him. And my, my Mr. Reese, who was my, my teacher, he was deacon in the church, he said, David came out there and he grabbed me by the arm and he grabbed Larry, that was the boy's name, by the arm and shook us real good and said, now let's go to the office. And I remember going to the office and going in, I knew what it meant. I mean, he took the board of education and applied the seat of learning. I'm telling you, he wore me out. He wore Larry out. And he looked over at Larry and he said, Larry, you can go. And I said, oh no, there's some things worse than a beating and that's a tongue lashing. I said, for sure that's going to come. But at any rate, the other thought was when when my mama sees him Sunday, there's going to be a full report. So I might as well just go on home and confess up because it's going to be. But I remember what he said to me. He said, David, I asked you to stay behind because I need to talk to you. I said, yes, sir. And he said, I saw the whole incident. And he said, I know you weren't at fault. But he said, I wanted to tell you before I dismissed you. I wouldn't give a plug nickel for somebody who won't fight for what's right. Whew! That was worth a beating. I'm telling you about it today, and I was 70, I'm 74 year old, and back then I was in the eighth grade. You say, preacher, what are you saying to us? There's something about investing. Y'all look for opportunities to invest in your grandchildren. Uh, some of you knew Miss Sheila Doom. She's now with the Lord. What a saint of God, Dr. Bob Doom's wife. What a saint of God she was. She went with me to, with the boys and girls and young people from our church every year to youth camp. She would teach the missionary stories. Rhonda, she would sit quietly with her head bowed while I was preaching or teaching or someone else in the camp was preaching or teaching. And when it was over with, I'd watch these young people guys as well as girls, boys, that I would see them at certain times say to her, can I talk to you today? Glory to God. Now she would tell you right quickly, I am not a preacher. But I know a lot of preachers today that are preaching truth because they went by her bookstore and she took time to invest in them. You say, God doesn't call women to preach. She wasn't a preacher. She didn't want that. She lectured and she gave messages to women teaching women. In fact, she's a Bob Jones graduate and uh, it was amazing as a school teacher. She loved history and she loved English. But she'd never stand in the pulpit. She said, I will not stand in the pulpit. God doesn't call women to preach and I'm not going to find myself behind the pulpit. But you put a lectern out there in front of the communion table and she'd stand there and lecture women all day long. 
And some of us preachers that would be there for those women meetings would flip up in the balcony and hide in the back corner and listen to her teach. <laughs> we'll try to get some fresh meat from the Lord. Amen. You say, preacher, what are you saying? God can use you to invest in the lives of others. Is it not that Sister Becky that was here for years, uh, Andrews, she invested in her nieces and in her nephews. You say, well, a lot of good that did. It's not over yet. Are you listening? I'm telling you, God wants us to see the importance and the value of investing our lives and the lives of others for the advancement of the kingdom of God. It was also in Paul and Timothy's situation, Paul and Titus' situation. It's interesting that Paul did not uh, uh, impose upon Lois and Eunice and say, well, you messed up and married a heathen man and he ran off and left you and poor old Timothy doesn't have a father to guide him. No, Lois was smart enough to say, Timothy, there's a man of God. Go find out what he's got to say about issues. Go find out the direction of God from this man. And that's how Timothy came to know the Lord. And that's how Paul invested his life in Timothy. And he said, I have no man that careth for you when he wrote the church at Ephesus. I don't have anybody cares for you like uh, Timothy. He taught Titus. There was others he taught. But I want to share with you three points. And I'll do it concisely as possible. I'll not read the text, but I'll give you those texts but for time's sake. I want you to look in your Bible to 2 Kings. And uh, it's interesting that 1 Kings, and write down that portion of Scripture, 1 Kings 19, uh, there in 19 to 21, and then also in 2 Kings, uh, if you will, you can notice in chapter 2, and then... Later on in 2 Kings chapter 13. Now you say, Pastor, what in the world took place in those places? Well, you know the story in 2 Kings that the Bible tells us, actually in 1 Kings, that the man of God, Elijah, what a prophet he was. Amen. And old Elijah stood up to Ahab and Jezebel. And uh, he said unto them, as he walked into their presence, that he had a word from God. It was a word of judgment. It's not going to rain for the next three years. Amen. Because of your wickedness, King Ahab. But what's so interesting about the thing, he would uh, experience the grace of God growing in his own heart down by the brook Cherith. Let me just say this to you. God grows his uh, teachers and he prepares them with experiences of growing in faith. Later on, he went from the brook cherub to, you'll remember, he went to the widow's house. And what's interesting is, as he made his way there, God had instructed him. Now he said, when you go down to the brook cherub, he said, in that place you're going to find that there is water and bread. And you know what happened? In the morning and in the evening, 
because he obeyed God and was in the right place God provided for him. God said, all right, I want you to uh, go to the widow's house. Now, here's what's interesting. This wasn't just any widow. This was a Gentile widow. You're talking about humiliating for a Hebrew. You know, sometimes God has his ways of instructing us, and uh, we don't necessarily like what we what we're finding. But the Bible tells us that the widow's son down at Zarephath would be restored in the process. Learning to depend upon God by a brook. He could go in and she's standing there picking up sticks. What are you doing when I have a bonfire? No, we only have a little bit of meal left. And a little... Uh, uh, need here for a fire because there's just no fire. I said, well, make me a cake. <laughs> Sounds like some Baptist preachers I know. <laughs> make me a cake and then you and the son can live on what's left. You know what? The cruise of oil and the meal barrel after that day never went dry. Well, you can look at it and you say, what was God doing? God was teaching the teacher. Are you listening to me? What a blessed thing that later on the son would die. Boy, now we've gotten complications. You're telling this widow what she has to do and how she's to do and been seeing God perform and take care and then all of a sudden what happens? Her son dies. But you know when this thing happens the Bible tells us he raises his son from the dead. That's a miracle of God's grace. And when he got up from the dead, this uh, woman of Zarephath made this statement. Now I know there's a true and a living God. I know there's a God and he's a God of Israel. Let me just share this with you. We have to grow in grace and knowledge. So when it says be strong in grace, Timothy, be strong in grace and teach faithful men. We have to learn of the grace of God. We have to learn of the ways of God. Can I hear an amen somewhere? Or at least a nod ahead. It's uh, important to go on and point out that, that after that, the Bible tells us that God says, Now I want to try you big time. Go out, Elijah, and go to Mount Carmel. We're getting ready to have a contest between Ahab and his, his Baal gods and goddess. By the way, whenever you have any word that uh, ends uh, in the Baal, which uh, emphasizes plurality, it's interesting that uh, there were many gods of Baal, many Baal worshipped. And what was interesting about the thing is that he he pulls the contest and you know this thing. Go ahead, have your uh, sacrifices and whoever's God answers by fire. In this case, Baal was the God of the sun. He was the fire man. And uh, he, they build her altar. They jump on it. They have a charismatic meeting cut themselves and jump about and all of that stuff. And God doesn't do a thing because He's not the true living God. He's dead. 
And the true and the living God wouldn't let it happen. Amen. So Elijah builds an altar. He puts those 12 stones down. You remember representing each one of the tribes of Israel. He put digs a trench around it. You know, I've often thought of this. You know, they were in a drought and there was no rain. Where in the world did he get water of that nut multitude of barrels? Well, he probably brought it out of the sea. It was probably salt water. But he poured it all around and poured it on top of the sacrifice. Can't have any counterfeit. This is going to be the real thing, buddy. You know, anything saturated with the Word of God requires the real fire of Almighty God to make it burn. And when the fire failed, he got over there in the corner, and uh, we always are concerned about our posture, you know. Should I pray prostrate, laid out? Should I bow my head and pray? Should I stand and bow my... Well, Elijah sat down on the ground, pulled up his knees, stuck his head between his, between his legs. And he said a 33-word prayer. Lord, we need some rain around here. You need to let them know that, that you're the true and the living God. The fire fell, of course, first. And then came the rain. I just want to say this to you. God will teach you if you will become teachable so you can teach others. What happened? Well, old Elijah got himself in trouble. Jabez, I'm not Jabez, but Jezebel said, uh, if I can get a hold of him, they have gone home and told him, said, kill all, all those 850 false prophets and what have you. He said, man, I can kill him. If I can get a hold of him, I'll do him more than what, what he has done to them. And let me just say this to you. It's an amazing thing. Here's a man that believed God in all of these circumstances and then was put to the fire. And when he got in that place of testing, he got scared. One woman did more than 850 false prophets and priests of Baal. She put him in flight. Oh, I'm not going to go there too deep, but it was an amazing thing. As a result, he fled. And then, you know, as he ran, he got out under a juniper tree. As he got out up under that juniper tree, he said, Oh, Lord, I'm the only one left. Just let me die. He didn't want to die. All he had done was hang around Jezebel taking care of him. He was running for his life, man. Let's say any further. The Bible tells us that this man, Elijah, was rebuked by God. What are you doing here under a juniper tree? What's the matter with you? And then, what's so blessed is the way we do them is when they get out of line like that, we kick them. You know, you rotten devil. God has been so good to you. Yuck! What's the matter with you? But God didn't do that. God refreshed him. Sometimes we need to just have our own little Bible conference somewhere where God gives us bread and God feeds us with manna where he's prepared a special, the angels prepared the food for him. And I like it. Sometimes Doc will see this or make a statement, the most spiritual thing in the world you can do is go home, go to bed and go to sleep. 
you battle hell and you get exhausted and the powers of hell come against you. But what happened? He said, with his rebuke, what are you doing here? And then with the refreshing with the meal. And then he said, he got up from there and went up and hid in the cave. Now, here's an important thing. It was not the the rebuking of God, it was not any of that. It was the God of all wisdom who knows how to talk with his servant. Aren't you glad that the Lord God knows how to bring us back into line? He knows how to deal with our hearts to make us a teacher so we can teach. you got to have the confidence that God will do what God is saying he's going to do. And God proved himself to Elijah. And then God recommissioned him. I got work for you to do. I got kings for you to anoint, man. What's the matter with you? I've got prophets for you to anoint. No, Lord, I wish I could die. I'm the only one left. You must say this to you the way I, I feel it sometimes. <laughs> yeah, a good kicking would probably be in line, but it wouldn't work. And he said to him, I got men I want you to anoint. Listen to me. If God had given Elijah the desires of his heart, he would have never been prepared for the great blessing of an Elisha. The greatest blessing that ever came into the life of Elijah, other than God revealing himself to him personally, was when God sent him Elisha. It begins to rain. The rain's coming down. Elisha's a wealthy man. Elijah, he's a mountain man. And uh, he comes out of the mountains. He would be considered by some as not as cooth as others. But Elijah, Elisha, he came from a, a dignified family, a wealthy family. But there were plantation on and there were 12 yoke of oxen. What happened? It's raining. Now we can go ahead and plow the fields. Now we can get back to the work that's given to the nation of Israel in producing fruit. He comes in, and all of a sudden, we see old Elijah as he's pounded across those big lumps of turned soil. And he goes across the field. There is a man out there plowing. He's got... Twelve yoke of oxen in front of him. Eleven servants replied with those yoke of oxen. Along behind them comes a man by the name of Elisha. He owns the plantation because his daddy owns it. He's a man of means. And he's out there plowing himself. Then all of a sudden, here old Elijah by, and Elijah takes his mantle and casts it on. Now here you get the rest of the story. The Bible tells us that he said to him, he said, what do you mean come follow you? He said, I have a daddy and a mama. I need to go say goodbye to them. He said, I'm not calling you. Go on and say goodbye to them. And he did. And he made it a fare you well too. Because he went back and slaughtered the oxen. He was taking care. I'm burning the bridges behind me. 
And he didn't sit around and say, oh no, I gotta serve God, I gotta follow after Elijah. Elijah, number one, was a righteous man, but also he was a rejected man. He was despised by the unrighteous. And I want to say to you, son, he he slaughtered, he took those instruments, made an altar out of them, he slaughtered the the, the yoke of oxen and he said we're going to have a party praise God, God's called me to preach and I'm going to wholly follow after him we're going to leave this behind I want to say this to you sometimes you struggle with call to preach but the greatest thing that ever happened in my life was God saved me and he called me to the gospel ministry it's the greatest thing ever for me you say, well, God didn't call me to preach. You don't have to call you to preach. He can make you a servant of God as you yield yourself to Him in the capacity He's placed you in the Lord. But listen to this. Wherever Elijah went after that, here came old Elisha right behind him. And it's amazing when you get to chapter, chapter 2 of Second Kings. The Bible tells us that old Elijah looks over at Elisha and he says to Elisha he said uh, I'm getting ready to leave out and you can go back now he said wherever you're going I'm going I'm not backing out now when you get excited in your heart that you're going to wholly follow after the heavenly Elijah and he's your everything if he's got anything for you to learn you want to learn it you say, Pastor, why are you going through all of this? Because it's the truth in every one of our lives. If we decide to be used of God, God, I want you to use me. And I'm going to wholly follow after you. I don't care through the thick and the thin. Whether it went from one school of the prophets to the next school of the prophets and from Gilgal all the way down to Jordan. And are you with me? Every time the young preachers have come out. Don't you know that God is going to take your Elijah away from you? He said, hold your peace. And he followed on. You know, sometimes our co-laborers will talk us out of holy following God. They'll do everything they can. Oh yeah, you're becoming a fanatic now. Well, it's amazing to me that Elijah said, I want to be Elisha said I want to be what Elijah is and before this thing's over with he's going to say to Elijah I want Christ the spirit of God that you have I don't want what you got I want twice that much glory to God they go down now to the Jordan and they got one more last speech out of Elijah I'm getting ready to get out of here said you might as well go on your way you go across that Jordan I'm going with you he took off his mantle and he folded his mantle and old Elijah smote the waters and they divided hither and thither and hither and thither and the Bible said Elijah and Elisha walked on they were walking together I love it what it says in the text they walked and they talked glorious day when you learn a relationship with Jesus Christ that you can walk with him and 
you can talk with him and he talks with you and the Bible tells us Elijah and Elisha walk on and old Elisha, Elijah looks over at Elisha and he said now I'm getting ready to go out of here he said I want to know what you want he said I want a double portion of the spirit I want twice as much of the power of God as you have are y'all listening to me and if you'll settle for mediocrity you'll have mediocrity but if you have a hunger for everything God has for you and you seek him and you search after him and you beg him to fill you and control you and to use you he'll give you that what was the requirement walk on he said I'm getting ready to be translated but you got to see it you got to keep your eyes on the heavenly Elijah Jesus Christ and he walked on and then the horses of fire and the chariot of fire came down out of heaven <laughs> and just swept old Elisha right out of this place and all of a sudden excuse me Elijah and Elisha's standing there and he watches it I love the next verses it says and he saw it <laughs> you say well preacher what do you say you got to keep your eyes on the Lord you've got to see it and what a blessing here came that mantle from old Elijah floating down he takes off his mantle he puts on Elijah's mantle you say who are the first ones to recognize that bunch of young preachers on the other side of Jordan he got back over there and the Bible said he took off Elijah's mantle and said where's the Lord God of Elijah and he smoked the waters and they divided hither and thither the same crowd that tried to, 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 to get him to settle for less or a mediocrity why don't you know he's going to be taken away he said he may be taken away but I'm going to be there when he goes he stayed and the end result was they said Behold, the Spirit of God that rested upon Elijah is upon Elisha. I had two great pastors. I've had the privilege to know a lot of great pastors. But I don't want what they have. I want twice what they have. I want all that the power of God has for me. Why? Because it will make me a servant of the Lord that can touch the next generation. What did Elisha do? Twice as many miracles as Elijah. You look at it. Every time Elijah performed a miracle, Elisha performed two. I guess the indication is it's a double portion. Well, it's interesting that how he starts. What does he do? Well, he comes to Jericho and they say to him, he said, uh, we got bitter water here. And the Bible tells us he instructed them to pour salt in. And the end result was the water was turned to sweet water. Do you know what makes water that is no good become sweet water like the Word of God? The touch of a servant of God has got a double portion of the Spirit of God standing up and preaching all of a sudden everything that you just read about which was mediocrity now has become supernatural this is the doings of God 
Well, you know, the first thing you do is you start putting the right emphasis on the Word of God when you're a double portion person. Well, what else did they do? Well, you heard the story. He comes on down the road and they say, Rise up, old bald head, rise up. And the bear come out of the woods and devour them. Now they're not children, little children. These are young people. Probably late teens and early twenties. They're young people. And they are mocking the man of God because of this message. What was his message? He said, I saw Elijah translate. I saw the chariot of fire. He said, I saw the power of God. As Elijah was taken out of here, they were mocking his message. You don't mock God's man. If he's a true man of God, you get yourself in a passel of trouble. And the Bible tells us that he judged them. The bears came out of the wood and devoured them. You say, preacher, what was going on? Well, the next scene. Don't you just love the unfolding of the life of Elijah? As you look at his life, he's down there at... at, uh, Shunammite woman's house. What happened down there? Well, uh, she sees him and hears the word of God going on. She says to her husband, I perceive this is a man of God. She even said it this way, I perceive he is a holy man of God. Sad that the women folks sometimes have to point that out to their husband. But that's the way it is a lot of times. And then they build him a chamber on the wall. You say, well, Pastor David, things are just passing by. Yeah, they are. Listen to this. Another resurrection or a raising will take place, and that will be that once this dear woman who was barren for years, they said, what can I do for thee? The servant said, well, she's she's not any children. She'd like to have a child. And then he just called her in and said, Hey, at such and such a time you will be with child and you'll bring forth a son. Don't lie to me. Amen. And the end result was she became with child and birthed a son. And that son died. And he raised that son. I don't go into all the details, but I'm going to tell you, a man of God who becomes a teacher is an individual that has been taught by somebody that's known the ways of God and the miracles of God and the power of God that he may believe the same thing. All of a sudden the Bible tells us this. He is a spirit-filled man. Did you know that you don't have an option in that? God commands us to be controlled by the Spirit of God. Being spirit-filled, Ephesians 5.18, the command is an imperative in the Greek. And be not drunk with wine for success, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. And then he goes on talking about submitting to one another, etc. And he talks about the family the husband and wife relationship, and then also the children and the parents' relationship. All of that is a part of the Spirit-filled life. You want your home right, you need the Holy Spirit to help you to make it right. I've got news for you. You've got more to do, dear lady, than you can do to be the wife that God expects you in the Bible without the power of the Holy Spirit. But aren't you glad He's given you the Spirit? 
Greater is he that's within you than he that's within the world. We go a step further and look at it from the other side. You men, you got more to do than you can do. But the Holy Ghost can empower you to be strong in grace. You see, God can do more through you than he will do to you. He gives more through us than he does to us. Man lays hold of faith promise giving and starts giving. He'll end up giving a whole lot of stuff away. And he looks back on it at the end of his life and say, I didn't didn't even miss the stuff. I gave it all away and all of a sudden here we are. Uh, with the advancement of the kingdom of God and the work of God, boy, I sure am glad I believe God gave it away. Let me go on and point out to you the conclusion of this thing. The conclusion is in Second Kings and in chapter 13. Elijah works all these miracles. And then the Bible tells us, comes down, he's a dying. Amen. And all of a sudden in chapter 13, the Bible said in verse 14, Now Elisha was fallen sick of the sickness whereof he died. But notice what he says. And Joash, the king of Israel, came down unto him and wept over his face and said, O my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. Old Elisha is lying there on his bed, deathbed. He's a li- he's a dying. And the king comes in and he says, with tears falling on his face, upon the, Elisha's face, and he's laying there and he's crying, and he reminds Elisha of the message he has preached. Oh, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. He had a unique message. The message was, I saw Elijah. I saw the translation. I saw the work of God. And Elisha said unto him, Take bow and arrows. Don't you just like these coming narratives? And he took unto him bow and arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, Put thine hand upon the bow, and he put his hand upon the, upon it, and Elisha put his hand upon his hand. And then he said, Open that window eastward, and shoot it, and cry for the Lord of deliverance to deliver Israel from Syria. And the Bible tells us that he opened the window and he strung that bow and he pulled that arrow back and guess whose hands was up on his hands? The prophet of God. Let me just say this to you. You gotta invest in others. You gotta be there for them. You gotta be the one that encourages them. You gotta be the one to put your hands upon their hands to help them fulfill the purpose of God. You see, what had happened was when a man went to war against another nation, he'd go to the border. Then he'd cry aloud to the watchman. He said, Israel declares war on Syria. Lops that, that spear through the air. Or he shoots an arrow declaring war. All of a sudden, he's opened the windows. 
And he's instructing him to do righteously. And to go to war against your enemies. Stay in the warfare. He says, Now take your arrows. And he took them in his hand. He said, Smite the ground. Smite. It was an indication of how many times he's willing to go to war against the enemy. How many times are we to smite the ground against our enemy until the last enemy is dead? We are in Christ's army. We are His servants. And we give ourselves totally to Him. The enemy will die or we will. We're going to hold fast to the truth. But the old king, he smut the ground two times. And he, Elijah just got, got really upset. You say, why? Because he told him, had you smitten the ground five or more times, God would have destroyed your enemies. You know what we lack? We just lack old time strength and grace to persevere. Listen to him, else we have to turn. You see, we got a mask going on in our country. Our God's still God. Hey. He hadn't lost a thing. Well, you say, well, that, that's something else. But then it goes on to tell us in the next verses that Elisha died. They took old Elisha out there and buried him. You'd say, well, boy, that's something he did and gone. No, he had a living testimony. He had a dying testimony. And you know what? He had a living testimony. You know what he was doing? He was raising the dead after he was dead. Isn't that something? Yeah. The Bible tells us that they're having a, a funeral. And the Moabites, they were running through the land and there was some concerns. So the guys are having a funeral service. They're going out to the cemetery. And as they're going out there, here they come in the enemy, and they get scared, and they say, we've got to have cut short on this funeral, and we got to do this body right quickly wherever we can. And they rolled a stone away from Elisha's grave. And they slide that body in there on top of Elisha. And Elijah raised, Elijah raised two from the dead, or one from the dead, but Elisha was going to have to raise a second one to have that double portion. He raised the one with his son, but now he's going to raise that third one from the dead, and he's dead. All of a sudden, that man starts coming alive. Wouldn't you have liked to have seen that? <laughs> Sometimes I read the story of God's Bible, and they'll say, Well, I'm just a dullest old stuff. Man, that ain't dull. I'm pretty excited. <laughs> And then all of a sudden the Bible tells us that he said he, he came out of the grave and he was said to be alive by those that were with him and he was raising the dead. You say, Pastor, what are you saying to us? How do you bury the testimony of a spirit-filled man? There's something that walks back from the grave. You place him in the grave as a dead man. He'll have preached his last sermon. And he will have served God the last time. But when the rest of us walk away, he don't walk away with us in physical body. 
but his integrity walks with us. His spirit-filled life. Let me just ask you a question. How do you bury a Charles Haddon Spurgeon and you don't have future fruit in it? Let me just add to you, this old man is not, you know, I'm not the brightest color in the, in the coloring box. But I got enough sense to know that if I'll invest in the things that God is investing in, it's going to bring back dividends that when I'm dead and gone, I can be touching the lives of the next generation. That's what we've got to understand. This is called teaching. This is called discipleship. This is called training the servants of God. That's just a pretty good story, isn't it? It's not a story, it's the truth. It came right out of the Word of God. Elisha, as a spirit-filled prophet of God, had a living testimony. He had a dying testimony. But he had a lasting testimony. I was sitting on a platform with a late Dr. Avery Rogers. Dr. Avery was from Texas. And Dr. Avery was, he was a preacher's preacher. Everybody loved him. Uh, the first conference that Brother McGuire came to help us, Dr. Avery was still alive. And I remember, I remember Brother Tommy McElroy. Have you ever heard of Brother Tommy? You know what I'm talking about? He graduated from Georgia Baptist College. He also graduated from our seminary. He was up plowing, and I'm telling you, preaching in the power of the Holy Ghost. And it came time for Dr. Avery to preach. And he came up on the platform. He sat down beside me, and they were doing special. He looked over this time die now. <laughs> I said, you get what? He said, I can die now. He said, God's raising up some men that love the gospel that I love. And they're preaching the gospel and the word of God that I love. So I'm ready to go home. It wouldn't be long after that. God did call him home. You know why? Because he was delighted in heart to know that the work of God was going on to another generation. Amen. You want to touch the future? Be a teacher. You want to touch the future? Be a disciple. And if you want to be a part of the action, be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, yielding yourself unto his training. I want to say thank you to you. But I don't preach and teach to entertain. I preach and teach to bring about change. You say, well, I'm just an old person. Yeah. Welcome to the club, praise God. I had a choice, die young or be here old. Amen. And to be honest with you, I didn't have that choice. God had that in mind. So if he did, then he must have had something planned for, something planned for me. And old Vance Havner made it this way. He said, so you're getting old. He's the Lord of what's left. Give him what's left. Don't mess with taking advantage 
and going after the flesh, go totally after the Spirit of God and the power of God and the presence of God. And then when you stand face to face with God, you'll be glad you did. Amen. Thank you for your support of the ministry in which we're engaged. I can honestly tell you they're over here. And uh, God is good. And God's still raising up young men. And you've heard their testimonies. And I mean, God just digs them out of a pit and puts them up on a solid rock with uh, a new song in their mouth. And even praise unto our God. Let's stand. If you have any questions about uh, the ministry or any way that we can help you, I hope you'll talk with me about it. Materials up here are materials for, to help you with your ministry and what you're doing. And uh, I want to thank you for your faithful support of these ministers. Brother Black, I thank you and your church for their faithfulness. And. Uh, I, I praise God for all of you as individuals that help us. It's a worthy work. What are we investing in? Men of God who can invest themselves in others. That's it. Amen. Brother Paul, if you will, you pray and ask God to help us tonight that we not just have a, had another service, but that that God will help us to pick up where we are and say, Lord, use the rest of my life and let me leave behind a legacy for Jesus. Our Father and our God, we thank you today, Lord. We bless your holy name for this privilege that we've had to hear your servant, your servants, actually, and for these messages that have challenged our hearts, our lives, no matter how old we are, Lord. Yeah. We know that our lives are to be invested in your kingdom. Yes, yes, The work of your kingdom, the furtherance of the gospel ministry, and that you are the sovereign God of the universe, Lord, that you do open doors, that you use individuals that only they as an individual can make contact, build bridges to certain other people. Nobody else can. Lord, we know that we're to do that. We're to carry that message across those bridges to the lost. But Lord, we know we're also to train. Lord, we're to disciple people. We're to train them in your word. Lord, we know that indeed, if it ends with us, that's not biblical at all. Because yes. we are to be like Paul with yes. Timothy and yes. to train others that they may be able to even train others that were able. But Lord, we know that's the way your program goes. You don't have a plan B. It's all in your word. It's all through the local church and your people. And Lord, we, we thank you for this opportunity. We pray that, Lord, that we'll not forget these messages, that we'll actually listen to them. We've recorded them, oh God, that we might listen over and over too, that we apply them to our own personal lives. Mm-hmm. We know that if we're here, you've left us here for a purpose. We yes. know we're to be redeemed of the time, for the days are indeed evil. And Lord, we know we're not to be discouraged no matter what, because we know you're sovereign, that you're on the throne, and that one of these days, Lord, you will usher in your kingdom. The Lord Jesus will return to this earth one of these days. 
rapturous people, his bride. And Lord, we know in the meantime, though, that we're to be lights and salt in the earth. Lord, we're to be having an effect yeah. in the lives of others in such a way that they'll say there is a difference in the people of God. Yes. God, help us. We know that we're to be holy. You said, be holy, for I'm holy. And we you know, the Lord, that takes investment of time. Yep. Lord, that we must be separated from this ungodly world system. We know that this world system, the people of the world that are unregenerate, hate every word in your yep. book. But Lord, we know it's by grace that you bring people alive in Jesus Christ as the gospel is preached. And oh God, we pray for we pray for them. Converts. We pray for people that really come under the yes. authority of the Lordship yes. of Jesus Christ through our witness, the witness of others. We pray, Lord, for your continued blessings upon Georgia Baptist College and Seminary, the work in Egypt. Uh, Lord, for the many servants that you have trained through your uh, teachers there down through the years that are on the field, whether yes. in this yes. country or yes. otherwise. Yes. We thank you for it, Lord. We know you raised up this great work and you've used these men of God all that down through these, these years have had a consistent testimony to the grace of God and faithfulness to you. Lord, they're such examples to us too. We thank you for them. We pray now, Lord, that you'll protect them as they travel onto the Atlanta area uh, on the roads tonight. And Lord, just continue to bless and use them for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.